0: The easier thing to do is then blame, oh, it was veganism. So then to turn around and say veganism made me sick, well, you didn't give true, fair veganism a chance. You bought into these diets that are very popular online that are really detrimental to your health and then wondering why you got sick.
1: Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the PBN Podcast, I'm your host, Robbie Lucky. On this week's episode, we have the Canadian YouTube personality, Candace Hutchins. She's a vegan chef, a comedian, and an author. Since launching her edgy veg cookie related channel in 2012, Candice has attracted over 370,000 subscribers, making her one of the most popular vegan chefs on the YouTube platform. One of her main focuses is to create vegan versions of classic comfort foods. Candace's recipes range from plant-based burgers and fried chicken, where she uses grapefruit peel, to sushi rolls made of watermelon. For Candace, it's all about keeping the familiarity of foods that you eat every day, but without any animal products. As an influential content creator, Candace has worked as a mentor to other newer YouTubers in Toronto, and was also a featured creator at the 2006 Buffer Festival, where she screened her video Fantastic Vegans and Where to Find Them. Candace made her debut as a published author in 2017, when she released her first cookbook titled The Edgy Veg, Carnivore approved recipes. For the last few years, she has also been a contributing chef and author for Chloe Relli's by Chloe Vegan Restaurant chain. I hope you love this episode. Candice is a joy to speak to and a wealth of knowledge in this area. As always, if you liked this episode, please don't forget to comment and share. It really helps get the message out there. And if you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. That helps too. Let's get to the episode. Hey Candice, thanks for joining us on the PBN podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh, hey friends. Welcome to Edgy Veg, quarantine edition. Hey guys, if you don't know me, hi, I'm Candace the Edgy Veg, and this is Louie, not the Edgy Veg. Hello. Today is another what I eat in a day, but quarantine edition. So we have been told to socially distance, isolate, quarantine ourselves from the world but thank you to technology we can still stay in touch with you guys still make videos for you to give you a sense of normalcy during this time we thought we'd show you guys what we were eating while we were stuck at home socially isolating
1: hey, it's a banana
0: for breakfast keeping it simple
1: well we're eating more and than coffee we're eating more than that for, for breakfast i mean i had i had a bagel and, and then i may have had a brownie so before we start uh with all the questions about all the amazing things that you're doing with your life today let's go back in time. And uh, we'd love to hear your vegan story. And how did you get involved in this crazy uh,
0: movement of people? Yeah, for sure. So it was about 2010, 2011. I actually suffered from um, a number of skin conditions. And I, I'd grown up pretty natural in terms of what my parents were doing for like our healthcare, if you, if you will, you know, the home naturopaths, you know, kind of way and the homeopathy, that sort of thing. And so we had a pretty progressive doctor who had suggested that I cut out dairy and see if that made any differences to my skin, which back then in like 2010, I mean, not not a lot of doctors were recommending such a thing. And so I had to reteach myself how to cook. And a lot of my family members were seeing the things I was sending them photos of the things that I was making. And instead of having to email the recipes back and forth, I ended up just throwing it up on a blog, like one of those like blog spot <laughs> type things back in the day. And I was doing a lot of more activism type stuff, a lot of feminist stuff. And, and I found myself in a, uh, in a wormhole of the internet where I really learned about factory farming for the first time. And it was always kind of in the back of my mind, but I didn't really know very much about it. There wasn't a lot of talk about it back then. And I was sitting in the metro that we have here, the subway system, and I saw this poster put on by the Toronto Veg Society. And it was put out and it it had a, I think it was a cat on one side and a pig on the other. And it said, why love one and eat the other? And that was really the moment that changed it for me. Once I knew about the factory farming and I didn't really know how to process it, but then it was such simple language for me that 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 was it. That was the last day that I ever ate meat.
1: Isn't it incredible how such simple messages can unlock, I've been talking about this a lot, unlocking realization um, and how, you know, we have these innate knowings within us, but all it takes is a few words or a script from a film or a simple image to create that realization. A bit like when you say to people, well, isn't it strange or curious that, We drink and eat cow's milk, but we don't uh, drink rat milk or dog milk or pig milk or monkey milk. (laughs) Um, And when you kind of question people on these things, you see the cogs turning and that moment of realization is it's profound, really.
0: Well, and I find that a lot of the time when even the idea of feeding a child that is no longer an infant human breast milk is brought up, people kind of turn up their nose. I'm like, but that's exactly what we're drinking from cows. So yeah, that's once you start kind of getting them to think about that thing um, and and start to put one and two together. And sometimes even for me, I mean, for me, it was an emotional thing. I've always loved animals. I grew up around animals. And just the idea that, yeah, okay, we're putting this one type of animal above all other farmed animals. It just made no sense to me. This is the curry I made last night. It's kind of, kind of loose, like watery, but that's okay because we are eating it with rice. We tend to get sick of eating the same thing multiple days in a row. So we'll probably eat this one more time and then use whatever's left over for some sort of like curried soup, I think. Louie and I live in several places. He went to his place yesterday to grab anything that he had. So he actually has these Greek-style pitas. So I'm going to heat them up and that'll be a nice addition alongside our rice.
1: Perfect. talk us through your the food culture of your childhood. So where did you grow up? And what was the kind of food that you were surrounded with?
0: Yeah, so I grew up actually in Germany. So what I like to call a lot of beige food, um, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> meat, potatoes. Um, so it was a lot of, you know, bratwurst and schnitzel and grilling in the summertime. And, and then a lot of fermented foods as well. And, and a lot of cheese. I mean, for breakfast, sometimes we just had bread and cheese. And we were kind of more in the in the rural side of things and had a very old school way of thinking, almost kosher in a way where you don't mix cheese and meat. So some mornings it was just bread and meat and other mornings it was just bread and cheese. Um, so I grew up eating a, a lot of dairy, a lot of meat. Um, my mother was what she called a most of the time vegetarian. So she didn't really eat any meat except for chicken. So I actually around, I would say probably around seven or eight, we actually transitioned when we, my parents are divorced. So with her, we actually ended up cutting out all beef products. I never was a fan of fish. And because of my mother's religion, we never ate pork. So I just kind of grew up after you, that. Did you, grew up,
1: did you grow up Jewish?
0: No, actually my mother is seventh day Adventist. Yeah. So they eat according to the clean and unclean foods, very similar to, similarly to how um, the Jewish faith does. So after kind of, you know, age seven, eight, when she became, um, really, really, um, into the church, we kind of switched to almost vegetarian except for chicken here and there to make it easier on her in social mm-hmm. gatherings.
1: And so when it came to, it's interesting, obviously that you grew up with a, with a spiritual, quite a strong, uh, spiritual background and belief, like Obviously, as an adult now and, and, and knowing everything you know, do you kind of look at the, the spiritual and religious world and question and wonder why there are so many deeply religious and spiritual people who haven't made that connection when it comes to animals? They, they continue to sort of promulgate and, and talk about the message of compassion and kindness while munching down on a, you know, a beef sandwich or a, you know, a, a bacon butty, as we might call them here in England, the bacon sandwich, <laughs> if you're not uh, Adventist or uh, Jewish. There seems to be a huge disconnect.
0: I mean, with a lot of opinions that I have around religion, I do often see, you know, a picking of choosing of what, uh, you know, many religious groups want to follow and how they live their lives, and I just feel like a lot of the time it's just cherry picking what you what you choose to follow it, and it's shocking to me. Um, I mean, obviously, my mother's religion, it it, it Seventh Day Adventist, is very vegetarian if not plant-based focused and I just kind of assumed most religions preach that and then I found out as I aged that that was not the case and it is quite interesting to me that way I mean you would think that preaching compassion you know and in the Bible, even, it says, this is when my, you know, Sunday school <laughs> comes in handy. Um, in the Bible, it does say that, you know, animals are your friends. They We were companions to the animals. So it, it is always interesting to me how certain religious groups, sex, if you will, do definitely pick and choose what they, what they choose to practice.
1: Have you seen the film of Prayer for Compassion yet?
0: No, I have not.
1: Oh, I absolutely recommend it. So, "Pray for Compassion" is the, the the vegan film of 2019 that kind of tells the story of religion and that missing link between the connection between compassion, which is what really all religions are focused on, uh, and the and the release and and relief relief of suffering uh, and trying to sort of try and understand. So, this uh, the filmmaker goes on a journey to try and understand where the missing connection is and he speaks to jewish people and buddhist people and hindu people and muslim people about this kind of missing link between the idea that you know we are innately compassionate beings but then we sit down three times a day and and consume what is essentially violence you know animals that are killed by human beings or or slaughtered by human beings uh, you know they don't go willingly as we know and and yet that is all sort of kept behind closed doors and often shrouded in what is called culture or what's the word i'm looking for
0: tradition um, a lot of the time thank
1: you Absolutely. So, I mean, how do you, how do you feel about that kind of aspect of, are you, do you still practice? Are you part of the church still? Or you?
0: I mean, I, when I visit my mother to make her happy, I attend. <laughs> um, I, I've taken a lot a more spiritual approach just because I, I've just seen, you know, with religion, there's always good and bad. And, and for me, I just, I take a little piece from multiple different types of religions that I think suit uh, my understanding of, of who we are in the world and and what's out there. But it deeply fascinates me. So I'm definitely <laughs> interested in, in checking that film out because it's so true. I mean, in the Bible, it does say, you know, everything that the Lord made is good. So why are we so violently slaughtering things that he's made in his own image, things that he took time to create, if it is, you know, a Lord like that, that you believe in, I mean, why would you slaughter something so violently and consume it? It just, there's definitely a disconnect there. And I think that sometimes you almost have to go back to the roots, back to the start and kind of see what makes sense and what doesn't.
1: I think human, humanity or humankind is, is going through what I often describe as like it's teenage years where we're angry and self-destructive and we're sort of tearing at the walls, not realizing who uh, and what we're actually damaging in, in the process. I think, you know, a lot of the time we're asleep and unaware of what we're doing.
0: Well, have you heard that saying, youth is wasted on the young? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think that's absolutely relevant in this case. I mean, we kind of, we go through life bumbling about until we figured it out. And by the time we figured it out, if we ever do, it's almost too late. It's almost this cruel joke that life has for us.
1: I think it's a it's a process. And I think like with the, uh, veganism and uh the process of kind of unfolding our lives into this way of thinking and eating it is a process for many people on your website you talked i think you say something along the lines of recipes that carnivores will love and you know i love that approach like we want to and we need to make this lifestyle appealing to all people because if we don't you know we make a small club already you know and we make a club that is already small even smaller um by making it unobtainable for people. So I mean, talk us through your approach as as a as a chef and as a person who creates food and and, and has been doing it for quite a long time. Like tell us about your approach and, and the way you kind of communicate this way of living and eating.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've always said that my form of activism is leading with a fork and creating an inclusive environment. I mean, it's sometimes with this Creating this small kind of elitist, closed, you can't sit with us club. What we're doing is is really just pushing people that may have the the interest to learn away. So what I've always done is, you know, take popular foods, take familiar foods, call them what they what they are trying to replicate, but add the word vegan in front of it, and that way, you know, Joe Schmo on the street understands what flavors and what the dish is. If you, you know, write um, I don't know. Uh, kale, millet bowl, blah, 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 or like call something like seitan, for example, many people don't know what it is. And and I get a lot of flack online for calling things like vegan chicken or vegan beef, but I use those terms because it's familiar. You can recognize it. You know what that dish is going to taste like when you order it on a menu or when you cook it at home. So that's kind of what my activism has been, is been this really approachable medium for people to consume in an approachable and and in a positive way, bringing people in with kindness and and a a willingness to educate as opposed to picketing or yelling at someone on the internet. And there's definitely a time and place for that. But for myself and what I've learned in my life is I just lead by example. I lead with a fork and every partner I've ever ventured into a relationship has eventually gone mostly plant-based or fully plant-based because in my Even my personal relationships, if they want to eat something that I don't agree with, that's fine, but they have to see me every day and they have to understand me every single day and they are, they will be educated. And usually eventually they get there. All right, so I thought, because I have all this delicious bacon on hand, that I would make a BLT. I've eaten a couple pieces and like, does it taste exactly like bacon? No, but is it a really, really close bacon substitute if you're vegan to get that like mapley, crispy crunchiness in a sandwich? Absolutely. I mean, you're not gonna give it to someone and fool them into thinking it's bacon. Definitely not that, but it makes Such an amazing BLT.
1: There's so many different ways to advocate the message. And I think there are ways that bring people in and there are ways that push people out.
0: You know, at some point we were not vegan ourselves. And we have to remember what our journey was to get there and what works, you know, sometimes... Those great protests on the street work for some people, but other people it turns them off or it or it um, really emphasizes a stereotype that's out there um, that I think we're also desperately trying to get away from. Another reason why I am vegan is because it is our job to protect the environment, especially if you want to have kids one day. I mean, I've opted out of that. It's just not something I need in my life. Like I, I don't have that desire. Like a lot of women do but if you are having kids one day don't you want them to live in a planet with like diverse beautiful animals and environments and ecosystems so it's our job to be responsible and have integrity to you know make sure that this planet is around
1: so when it comes to sort of those different styles um you've obviously been in the game for a while you know you've you've we've all weathered the uh Departing of many kind of influencers who've risen to the top of the vegan community and and movement and the sense of like, uh, you know, advocacy and awareness and you sort of stuck it up, you know, a lot of, a lot of, especially around YouTube, there's there's been a lot of people that have come and gone from the vegan YouTube scene. Oh, Absolutely especially last year there was ser- quite a lot of really influential people who who slipped out of the the movement and a lot of them you know they had to be they had to remove themselves because they were found out from from hiding you know their true sort of lifestyle i mean do you have any opinions on on that obviously you you know youtube is a big part of what you do so you must have some strong views on that
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the problem I think is multifaceted, if we call it a problem. I think it it has a lot to do with um, the cancel culture and shaming that we live in now in the world of the internet, if you will. I also think it has a lot to do with the reasons why these individuals went vegan in the first place. I think a lot of the individuals that, you know, spent a lot of their life or their life on YouTube anyway, you know, advocating and making vegan recipes and pushing people to go vegan. And then all of a sudden you go to eating, let's say, for example, I saw one that all of a sudden ate an all carnivore diet out of nowhere. I think the same or the reasons why they went vegan is very different from the reasons why a lot of us go vegan. Like maybe it's health, maybe it's an eating disorder. Whereas if you are an ethical vegan, you don't just turn around one day and decide that you're going to eat meat again or eat eggs again. There's I think that there's a couple different reasons. (laughs) Like I said, why you know, something like that can happen. And you know what, I don't agree with calling these people out or attacking them or sending them death threats because at the end of the day, what we are trying to lead as vegans is a compassionate lifestyle and sending someone a death threat is not compassionate. In terms of you know being found out, I think had the people that were found out that they weren't living this lifestyle that they were projecting online had simply been honest with their audience and had been honest about their struggles or that they break once in a while and and kind of involve their audience in the conversation and and led with the truth first then maybe it would have been their fall if you will maybe have may have been a bit softer having animal products in our system is because we've created a system around these animal products back in the day when like We each had like a cow or a chicken, and we had to slaughter it. And that cow or chicken fed like an entire family. That was different than it is now. We are able to GMO vegetables. We're able to grow meat in a lab. We're able to make plant-based foods that are so good and mimic meat so well. Like imagine if we can do that now. Imagine where we're going to be in like five years. I'm super epic pump for
1: that. Curious, isn't it? Because obviously you have these characters and there are many of them on, on social media, Instagram and on YouTube who have built their lives, their businesses, their entire identity around being vegan, vegan food, vegan culture. And then they've decided to go to their audience and say, I'm no longer vegan. And you know, rather than coming at it from a place of, I think there have been some, you know, I'm not, this is not about naming names. It's more just about the, the, the culture really. And as you say, the cancel culture is very, very destruct, self-destructive. But I think a lot of people don't seem to understand that if you are looked up to by potentially thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, they see you as uh, you know, a, what's the word, a role model. And then when you sort of turn around and say, I'm not doing this anymore because of X, Y, and Z, it's very hard for people to, not get angry and to not be frustrated because people feel a sense of betrayal. They feel that you've, you know, led them on. And, and it is, I can understand why people get angry, obviously death threats and, you know, wishing, you know, illness on people's children, which is, I've seen some horrific things uh, that people have said and done. It's a true testament to the sort of real shadow and darker side of human nature.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I did a video and I called it uh, why I'm still vegan. And I kind of talked not, I didn't name names. I just kind of talked about the this trend of people coming out saying i'm an ex-vegan i'm no longer vegan i talked to my audience and i said don't attack them like just leave them alone because what that does is it brings in it frees up space for people that are truly passionate about this movement and it gives voice to someone else that maybe was kind of hidden in the background because these people were up in the forefront and now they're gone and now they're out of the way and maybe now it's time for a new voice and a fresh new perspective The main frustrating thing for me um, when I see people come out as I'm no longer vegan is blaming veganism itself and the vegan movement. Your health issues, for example, chances are they were not caused by your vegan lifestyle had you been doing the vegan lifestyle properly. I find with a lot of these people, it's a lot of restricted eating. It's a lot of, you know, oil-free, sugar-free, very, very restrictive not reasonable in terms of what a balanced diet looks like. Eating disorders disguised as influencer culture. And I think the easier thing to do is then blame, oh, it was veganism, when the average, let's say, quote unquote, normal human being doesn't eat 15 bananas a day. So then to turn around and say veganism made me sick, well, you didn't give true fair veganism a chance. You bought into these diets that are very popular online that are really detrimental to your health and then wondering why you got sick. And that's where I get frustrated. If you ate a balanced diet, I've been vegan for 10 years. (laughs) I'm so incredibly healthy. Do I have normal health issues like any person no matter what my diet would be. <laughs> of course, you know, I get sick in the winter because, you know, the flu's going around. Do I sometimes have digestive issues? Yeah, and who doesn't? Do my hormones kind of go out of whack once in a while? Of course, I'm a woman, but I don't blame my vegan diet on that because I know that I'm eating my version of what is a normal diet, just completely vegan. I'm not going and eating, you know, six heads of romaine lettuce every day. <laughs> and that's the point that frustrates me.
1: I think that's what social media does, though, doesn't it? It takes extremism um, of any form, whether that's carnivore or vegan, and it, and it kind of turns it into entertainment. And with the comments section raging, people love to create a bit of hysteria or controversy, and that feeds the algorithm, which feeds advertising revenue. You know, if you are prepared to sort of throw your ethics out the window, you know, you can make a lot of money. And I think that's what people do.
0: And I think, you know, taking the uh, the shot at veganism is a cheap shot because you don't see the same type of hysteria or even people taking the time to make a video coming up being like, hey, I went keto for a year and now my health has gone to shit. <laughs> There's no hysteria around that because it's not trendy. It's trendy right now because veganism is so... You know, it's the next up. It's the big up and coming diet. People care about the environment. It's trendy, if we want to admit it or not. But it it's trendy to also then shit on vegans. But the same thing doesn't apply to I went keto and it didn't work for me, and now I'm gonna blame keto and everything it stands for you just don't see that and it's just so interesting to me mm, <laughs> that we don't have the same type of outrage
1: with regards to kind of the movement itself like you've obviously been being for 10 years you've seen it change a lot what do you think's holding back the growth of the, the movement itself
0: oh i mean a, a lot of different things i think it's right now what we really need is governments to stand up environmental activists to stand up and you know go to the top and make this like a a big deal. I mean, we ha- we're in a, you know, a climate change crisis right now and we need people to step up and be like, you know what? Ending the planet is not worth a hamburger. I think it's going to take a lot of lobbying from the vegan activist groups. I think it's going to take, you know, writing to Whoever your local person is that's running for office, I think that's kind of one of the major things right now, especially with climate change and everything happening. People are becoming more aware. People are making more conscious choices. But we are only citizens of this world. We need the big corporations and so we need the governments to step in and start putting some taxes on these things and making some rules that people have to follow. And you know what? Like anything, like any other movement out there, there's going to be people people that don't like it. And that's okay because eventually give it a decade or two or another generation and it's going to be normalized. Look at, you know, the civil rights movements. Look at women's movements. Myself as a woman, like I wasn't able to vote even like what is it, like 60 years ago, it, there was outrage. But eventually we understood the bigger picture and that women are, you know, entitled to these basic human rights. And I think that it's going to take some some strong-willed people to, to really push some things in our governments and in our corporations. And it's like the, the waste-free movement. It's the same type of thing. I mean, we can only do so much as citizens. I can only not buy so much plastic. When there's so much waste happening in the world. And I think that's a major one. But then also, I think the second one is within the vegan movement itself, it's a lot of perfectionism. And I think that's really, really what's holding us back. It's, oh, KFC came out with a chicken burger, but I'm not going to eat it because it's fried in the same fryer as regular chicken. But instead of me just not going to eat it, I'm going to make a big stink about why that's wrong. Guess what? Chickens don't care if it's fried in the same fryer or not. Chickens just care that you bought the plant-based one. <laughs> like I mean, obviously if you if you are really sensitive and you have an allergy and it really bothers you, okay, great, but you don't have to go order it, but you know, writing an an op-ed on your Facebook page about why that's not veganism is exactly what's holding us back. Calling businesses like Beyond Meat or Impossible Foods not vegan because of things that they've done in the past. I mean, all food is tested in a cert or has been, all ingredients have been tested. In order for them to get certified eventually in the food chain, so we need to think of things more big picture. You know, saying I'm not going to support Burger King, even though they have a plant based item, I'm not going to go and buy it and show that I that there's a demand for this thing really hurts us in the long run. Into Hortons here in Canada, because a lot of I mean, there's a couple issues with the product, but Beyond Meat came out with a breakfast sandwich, and there was a lot of upheaval about. Well, you know what? They don't even serve almond milk or soy milk, so I'm not going to support them. But had they just supported the plant-based option on the menu, then it creates more of a demand and it tells those businesses, hey, we should create more plant-based options because there's such a high demand and then it shifts those dollars from the meat and dairy products that they're that they're creating and that they're testing and that they're bringing out into the market and it shifts it to plant-based options which is a great thing
1: it really is because when we when our friends and family walk into these restaurants the choice is very simple if you want your friends and family to make that obvious choice towards a plant-based option the option has to be there in the first place and if we don't feed that demand, the supply is going to dry up. And, you know, all those those f- favorite um, places that people eat, uh, which is kind of being unfortunately ingrained in our culture, in our Western culture, it's not going to create that shift. You know, I always say to these people who are strongly against the junk food, vegan options, I say, well, Yes, I don't like the fact that people eat a lot of junk food, but it's there. It's part of our culture, unfortunately, and it makes more sense for people to have the option than to not to have the option. A thousand vegan meals and one non-vegan meal is better than no vegan meals at all.
0: Exactly. And that's, that's why I get so frustrated. And you know what, if you don't want to buy the product, then just don't buy it. But like I said, don't make a big stink about it, emailing the company, you know, and then the company's like, you know what, these plant based people are too difficult, they want too many things, you know, and then they're never happy. So I'm not making a plant based option. Well, that's not good either. Mm.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of arrogance within the vegan community as well, that they th- we think that we're the ones driving the change in the food system and the food industries. And in fact, it's not the vegans, it's the flexitarians. It's the flexitarians are the people who are actively reducing their meat consumption. It is sixty-six million people in the United Kingdom, and twenty-five million of them are actively reducing their meat consumption for environmental, ethical, or health reasons. These are the people who are, you could say, the low-hanging fruit on the outskirts of the vegan movement who are are not quite vegan, but still eats a bit of meat who are actively reducing it. These are the people we want to join our club, you could exactly. say. You know? Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's a stat out there that says that if every Canadian just gave up one meat meal a week, it would reduce their carbon footprint Print by five percent that's a huge number and that's just from one meal and if people are willing to do one meal or two meal meals a week that are plant-based we should be praising them we should be lifting them up not being like okay well that's cool but what about all the rest of your meals I mean people it's baby steps it's encouragement no one likes to be yelled at
1: (laughs) so tell us about so in in Canada you you still live in Canada right
0: I do yes
1: in Canada when it comes to the the food what's it called the food pyramid you don't have a food pyramid but you've got a plate yes the Canadian government removed dairy as a food group how did you feel about that when that happened
0: oh I thought it was fantastic obviously <laughs> I thought it was amazing I didn't see that happening for us um Canada is great and it's progressive but compared to many other countries in the world it is you know, on the lower end of the progressiveness scale. So when that happened, I was surprised. We do have a very, very strong cattle, like beef and dairy lobby here. They're very much in with all of our fast food chains, with our grocery store. So I was surprised to see that that was even a thing that happened. I was pleasantly surprised. And I think <laughs> I think I made a lot of posts that day. <laughs> And I think it's such a realistic approach because they didn't say, you know, dairy is going to kill you or, you know, all the other things that a lot of um, or like dairy is, you know, anti-feminist or all the other uh, kind of talking points that we have as vegans. It was more like, you know what, on a balanced diet, what makes you healthy is, you know, focusing on fruits and vegetables and whole grains and variety and focusing on those and then a little bit from the other food groups, I mean, it was very realistic. And they even brought in the, you know, environmental side of things, which I thought was amazing.
1: Yeah, it was revolutionary, really. And obviously, it angered a lot of people, but it's a real positive step. So moving on to your, your life and everything that you're doing now, what is the sort of main thing that takes up your your time and, and what kind of drives you uh, on a daily basis?
0: I'm very fortunate now. I I came out with my cookbook and kind of took a year off from creating YouTube videos and being very active because I, you know, I wrote this cookbook in a very short amount of time and it it was very emotionally draining, took a few months off and then uh, came back to YouTube. And I was welcomed with open arms and enthusiasm and it was really beautiful. And so now in the span of, I would say a year and a half, I am focusing on kind of broadening this business. So YouTube is how I started as well as the blog, but I'm also doing some menu consulting now, which has been amazing. So mostly in Toronto, I did work with By Chloe in New York as well, um, consulting them on, um, recipes to add to their menu but also working with traditional restaurants here in Toronto that kind of I come in I look at their menu and I say you know what, if you have a group of six people, and you have one of those people that's a vegan and one of those people that's a vegetarian, they're not going to choose to come to this restaurant because there's nothing exciting for them to eat here. So, I then use what's on their menu and come up with vegan options for them to add to their menu that's not only delicious, but exciting. Like, it's not just, you know, a boring plain pasta with some roasted vegetables it's a a, it's a dish that gets them excited so that's been my main focus now something that I'm trying to build for 2020 is get a few more clients under my belt that way and you know really show the traditional restaurant that they can very easily and deliciously add plant-based options to their menu and bring in a new clientele and bring in those groups that have some vegans and vegetarians and and even you know for the carnivores or omnivores that want to you know, take that one meal a week and eat it out and eat it plant-based. There's a really delicious and exciting option for them out there. So that's been a big one for me for 2020, as well as, you know, just creating delicious recipes that the internet craves. See if I can get this right. This is the eggplant sashimi. So it's eggplant to look and taste like normal sashimi. And I can't get over like how much it actually looks like fish, like it's crazy. And these are a little um, seaweed cracker with sesame seeds. And then we have a, uh, what did she say? A sushi pizza?
1: Yeah, a sushi pizza with like truffle shavings and avocado.
0: Sushi pizza, truffle shavings, avocado. Like look at these truffles. Oh my God.
1: What's some of the exciting new trends that we can look forward to in 2020? What, what, What cool things have you been spotting?
0: I've definitely noticed a lot of people online um, turning something into something else. So, I mean, we've done banana blossoms into fish and chips. We've done, yeah, so that's been a huge one. And not just in the vegan community, but uh, there's been a multitude of different channels that are kind of taking this transformation idea and then kind of accidentally creating vegan dishes for everyone to try. (laughs) So that's been a really, really big one that I've noticed that we've actually been getting in on as well. And I love seeing, uh, you know, traditional non-vegan food shows kind of embracing that. I think also in terms of food and entertainment, I think – you know, there's so many people online doing vegan recipes now, but we don't really have that niche of vegan food entertainment, that like vegan food network, if you if you will. So that's definitely something that we focus on as well. We kind of do, you know, challenges and we kind of take food. And yes, I'm going to show you how to make something, but we really want it to be fun and interesting. I think people are like, okay, yeah, yeah, another recipe, I can look that up online, but, you know, read someone's blog about it. But I want to be entertained. And I think the more forward thinking we are with how we bring veganism into the world is uh I mean better for everyone right
1: yeah amazing I think I think mainstreaming what we're doing is the only way we're going to create huge change over here in the UK we're really excited to see the very first vegan tv show with the the Bosch boys do you know the Bosch boys yes Henry and Ian. I know them both very well, and we were super excited to see them on TV. It's uh, obviously a new venture for them, but I'm really hoping that this is going to be the beginning of many different uh, TV shows. Would TV be something that you would, would do in the future?
0: I mean, for me, myself, and kind of my audience, most of us don't have TVs. <laughs> so I think I would stick with online and more streaming services. I think I would definitely focus yeah. on like yeah, a Netflix... Like Netflix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a Netflix, Amazon Prime video, that sort of thing as opposed to traditional broadcast because I do think my audience is there and not in traditional broadcast.
1: Out of all the all my friends here in London, none of us really watch normal terrestrial television anymore. We're all Netflix junkies or Amazon Prime or um, we've got something called NAR TV here. Um, and there's that kind of binge culture where you sit all weekend just watching back to back episodes of, I don't know, <laughs> Game of Thrones or whatever it is.
0: Guilty. Been there.
1: <laughs> I think I'm the only person on earth who hasn't watched Game of Thrones, though. No,
0: you're not. My partner also hasn't watched it. So there's two of you, two of you. You guys can talk about how much fun it is not to know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> on on the subject of partners, is your partner plant-based or vegan yet or are you still
0: yes. working on him? So when we met, he was not, but, and I've always thought it was so bizarre because he's such an animal lover, like more so than any other partner, male partner that I've had um, in my life. And so when we met, he wasn't, but then we watched Game Changers together and he's a big athlete and he, we watched Game Changers and, you know, the credits came up, the movie ended, the credits came up and he kind of turned to me and he was like, you know what? I'm doing it. And I actually like tears welled up in my eyes. Cause this was something I you wanted. Um, we've been together for almost a year now. And this happened in October and we're actually filming kind of this docu series, um, following him around and on his transition and kind of from the perspective of an athlete, because he trains very heavily. He's very, very active. Um, he really cares about his body. So kind of doing it from that point of view and, you know, within the first two weeks, he was like, you know, my bowel movements are better. I've never had more energy. (laughs) And now he's obsessed. He loves finding new foods. He loves trying new things. Every meal is like the best meal he's ever had. The enthusiasm is really there. And it's for me to be perfectly honest. I tried after, um, after my divorce, I really tried to date only vegans. (laughs) And I just was like, that's such an unrealistic goal because you meet incredible people, whether they're vegan or not. And I met this incredible person and then, you know, just kind of showed him how delicious this, the movement can be. And, you know, he spends every waking moment with my dog. So he was able to make that animal connection to, to what was on his plate. Like he, he ate meat less and less. And then after watching that, he's like, that's it. You know what? If all these athletes can thrive on this, I'm doing it.
1: <laughs> Amazing, and and his peer group because he's obviously so he's a he's a pro athlete, right?
0: Uh, he's, he's not a pro athlete, but uh, he's very athletic.
1: <laughs> what what kind of sport does he does he do?
0: Um, so he does mostly uh, weightlifting, that sort of thing. A lot of heavy training in the gym. Um, he used to be a rugby player, so a lot of high intensity stuff.
1: And do his um does he get like why well, we say in England, people taking the piss of uh, his food choices. Or oh he-
0: my God. Yes. I feel like he can't have a conversation over the phone with his father without his father making fun of him. He has, he, you know what? He has a pretty good sense of humor. So he's, and he can really let the shit roll off his back. So he kind of takes it and he's like, yeah, yeah. Ha ha ha. Come up with some new jokes. Hardy, har har. But when it first started, He just got made fun of a lot. And then um, we actually kind of have two very polarizing groups of friends (laughs) that way, where, you know, he kind of got made fun of a lot. People made bets against him to see how long it would take for him to fail. And then we had other group of friends that are not vegan, but just love to cook and and love the science of food. So uh, we have one friend specifically. His name is Tyler, and he just, he's an ex chef and he loves to cook. So um, he's helped me create a lot of really cool vegan. meals for restaurants for my consulting side of the business. And he just loves to try and turn something into something else. So we've had a couple really enthusiastic people, but online specifically, he started sharing it on his Instagram and the overwhelming support from just complete strangers has been incredible. I would say even more supportive than his own friends and family.
1: Amazing. Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing. I think the people that are closest to us are more inclined to be more doubtful of it because I think... They, the stubbornness of like family and friends is, is something that's quite hard for people to deal with. Whenever I ask people, what's the biggest thing? What's the biggest challenge that you faced when you first went vegan? They say it's family and friends. It's those little whispers in the shoulder going, oh, just have a bit of cheese. No one's going to know. Or, you know, uh, just just have, a, have some of the steak. You know, I'm not going to tell your girlfriend.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, especially for his case and other cases of partners that I've had, I think it's the the shock with the friends and family first and then they immediately go into kind of like the selfish side of it which is like well what am I going to cook for you what are you going to have at family gatherings what are you it's almost like an inconvenience to them and I think a lot of the time, that's why they react the way that they do. And then also defensiveness, like what's wrong with the way that we've been eating for 30 years or or whatever. So um, I mean, I make it sound really bad, but you know, his family, you know, they love to take the piss out of him, but they always make sure now to have a vegan option or to let us know what the menu is ahead of time so that we can either bring something or suggest something for them to make it you know, that's plant based as well. And they'll go out of their way to make sure all the sides are plant based. So using oil instead of butter on like potatoes and vegetables and that sort of thing. So it took a few months, but you know, people are starting to come around with just the acceptance of it. And they're starting to understand that this isn't just a fad for him as well. I think when they really thought, you know, let's see how long you can go and then you'll be back to eating meat. I think once they accepted the fact that he's not going back to eating meat, they kind of laid off a bit.
1: Exactly. And when, when people start to see the changes in themselves personally, you know, my parents uh, are both 60 in their early 60s and they went vegan last or two, yeah, two veganaries ago. So excited about it now. And it's really given them a new lease of life. Um, my mum is... Uh, lost I think quite about, about five or six kgs. I don't know how much that is in pounds, but quite a lot of weight over the last few weeks But she's been oh, wow. eating whole food, plant-based, no oil, like really, really kind of clean eating, you know, but eating as much as she wants, you know, she's eating as many fruits and vegetables and potatoes and, you know, there was this real fear around eating potatoes. Oh, carbs, carbs, carbs are dang, carbs will make you fat. It's not the carbs that make you fat. It's everything you put on it, the butter and the cheese and the oil and the, you know, everything else.
0: Exactly. And it's
1: just so great to see people's lives transform and their health transform and their energy and everything. And it's uh, it's something that when I first went vegan about seven years ago, I was worried at first. I thought, have I joined some kind of cult? Am I spreading this message? And am I risking people's health? But when I went to America and we met Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Greger and Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Pam Popper and all these people who've been doing this for 35, 40, 50 years And it's so the message is so clear and I've never been more sure that this is the best way to eat. And as Dr. Greger says, you know, all the leading killers of human beings are because of diet. And, you know, the only diet proven to reverse the leading killers is a whole food plant based diet. And it should be the default diet until proven otherwise.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, even if we look back to, say, 50 years ago, even with people eating meat, they were not eating it in excess as they do now.
1: That's absolutely right. So moving on a bit to now, like the life that you live as a, so shall we say influencer? Some people don't (laughs) like the word influencer, but I think you 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 are influencing people on a daily basis through your actions. And I think that's the way I like to look at it. We are influencing people and we can choose to influence them in a really superficial way or a really positive way or a way that is kind of helping people grow. And I think that is the power that we have in our hands, this incredible technology that we hold in our hands on a daily basis is uh, far-reaching. There's over 3 billion people, 4 billion people on the internet and we can reach almost every single one of them. Does it ever become overwhelming to you having such a big audience and having so many people kind of following you does it does it sometimes become too much
0: you know what I'm for the most part I'm really really lucky my audience is amazing they're wildly funny and inappropriate in a good way <laughs> which is so wonderfully refreshing I have a lot of female followers which i think for the most part really cuts out a, that troll factor I mostly get trolled by like you know those people that only eat meat the carnivore diet people arguing with them is frustrating um, or seeing the comments is frustrating frustrating calling me mentally ill that can be frustrating because I do suffer from anxiety depression and borderline personality disorder so I know what it means to be mentally ill and using that as an insult is can be hard some days i um, kind of seeing that saying you're you know veganism is a mental illness it's a disease and it's I get more frustrated about those types of just uneducated comments, misinformed comments. But for the most part, I have such a great sense of humor that if someone really wants to attack me, like at least be creative with it. I really, really appreciate a well-crafted kind of like Fuck you, comment. Like, I really, (laughs) really appreciate it. If you, like, come insult me. Just make sure it's creative. I have a pretty thick skin. I've been on the internet since uh, 2011, 2012 on YouTube. So I've spent a lot of years, like, changing my appearance because people said I was too skinny, too fat wore too much makeup, didn't wear enough makeup, dyed my, like told me to dye my hair, told me I look stupid, didn't like the way I talked. And I kind of jumped all through all these hoops. And then I realized one day, you know what, I'm not going to make everyone happy. I'm just going to be myself. And when I truly embrace that, that's when the edgy veg, as we see it now kind of developed. And I created a really thick skin and you can say almost anything to me and I won't be bothered unless, you know, the mental health side of things, because I am an advocate for mental health and an activist for mental health and feminism. And those are the two that really irk me. It isn't even really the vegan stuff, unless it's someone that has a really clever way of making me feel bad. (laughs) But for the most part, omnivores and carnivores uh, are not very creative in their insults and their arguments. So I can kind of let it go. But um, yeah, no, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, Sharing my life has actually become a lot easier because of my audience. I used to be kind of closed off and would only really share about food and now I share about my dogs and what I'm doing and you know I I've shared I one of the things that I used to do for my panic attacks and my anxiety was film it so I could learn from it. So I would have a panic attack and if I, if I was able to get to my phone just hit the the record on the video option and And I've shared those and I really just want people to feel safe and feel heard and be a voice out there for those topics that I wish I had seen people talk about when I was lost, you know, having a really real approach to feminism, having a really real approach to mental health issues and having a really real approach to to veganism. And I think because of the way that I approach my activism for veganism, there's a lot of isms, um, (laughs) people are more likely to be like oh okay that's interesting tell me a bit more so i don't get a lot of trolls
1: when it comes to the the mental health side of things like what are some of the, the your tactics and strategies to to keep everything uh, in a in a state of equanimity and balance as much as you can in this modern
0: crazy world that we live in. Well, a lot of self care, and that's not self care like oh, I'm going to go buy myself something or go get a massage. It's it's really the nitty gritty self care, making sure I eat three meals a day, which I'm sure as an entrepreneur and, and a very busy one at that yourself, you understand sometimes how difficult that can be. The, just the basics, kind of the hierarchy of needs to the basic aspects of life. So making sure you eat three meals a day, getting eight hours of sleep. That's the stuff I really, really focus on now. And knowing when to say no, knowing when to say no was so hard for me for so many years. And I ended up burning out pretty terribly and having to take six months off from working anywhere. Uh, on anything. So um, that I have been very privileged to uh, be seeing a therapist. So having someone to talk to, bringing people being honest with with uh, family members and friends about how you're feeling and why I found that my friends I found out, you know, thought I was really flaky and always bailed. And I would just disappear. And they never knew why they just thought that, oh, that's how Candace is. So when I actually explained, you know, sometimes my social anxiety is so terrible, I can't leave the house. So, you know, being really open with people that you feel safe with, normalizing, you know, all these anxieties that especially our generation has because of the state of the world, uh, knowing when to say no, knowing when to slow down. And sometimes even when you feel like you can't because you have 25 different things to do. Uh, The most important thing you can do for that to do list is stop and take an hour for yourself and relax or refocus. And then you can hit that to do list, refreshed and with a clear mind. So those are kind of the main things that I do. And also petting all the dogs, you got to pet all the dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I have two dogs that I don't know what I would do without them. Like they've just they've helped me through a lot. Uh, Career-wise, you know, mental health-wise, and just as beautiful companions, and almost like these little, little advocates for veganism itself, because they're just so human-like. Like they, they feel. They're compassionate. They're loving. <sighs> Dogs are better than humans in every way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, to give me an animal any day over over most humans. <laughs> right. um, when it comes to kind of mental health, obviously, you know, your job is very much focused on social media. And there are a lot of people who really, really struggle with social media addiction. How do you balance that addictive nature of social media with working in in that space? I mean, I'm, I've am i been very heavily addicted to social media since it appeared in, I think, 2016. 15 2014 and i struggled with it on a regular basis i was never able to put my phone down now my entire job and career is focused on social media and i'm on it all the time Um, and i have to often remind myself to be present to not constantly be on instagram to constantly be mindlessly scrolling i mean do you do battle with that as well or have you have you got good measures in place to help you kind of counteract that addictive nature of of the of the medium
0: Oh, hell no. There are no measures in place. Um, I am grossly addicted to my phone. I've noticed it becoming worse over the last couple of years. And now I'm very aware of it. And sometimes, you know, I'm aware of it and I'm like, Ugh, screw it. And I keep going. But I have found myself having to put my phone in a different room and silence it when I'm working on major tasks because I just get so distracted. So I try to not even take my phone to the bathroom when I do take a break from a task because I get so distracted. All of a sudden it's 45 minutes later and I don't know what I was supposed to be doing and I don't know where I am. (laughs) I'm on a weird Reddit, like subreddit group and I'm angry at someone. So I, I definitely try to, some days I succeed and some days I don't, but I definitely try when I'm working on a project to not have my phone with me. I have a rule with my partner that when we go out, whether it's for a drink or a meal or to hang out with friends that the phone stays in the jacket pocket or the purse. And that, you know, if you want to go to the bathroom and take your phone with you and check it, that's fine. But we, we have a pretty strict rule about that. And first thing in the morning, I really, really try not to go on my phone first thing in the morning. I just feel like we're bombarded with either really just the horrible things happening in the world or really unrealistic expectations of other people's lives. <laughs> so I tried it for the first hour, not be on my phone and it's a struggle i'll be honest it's not easy especially when you know you run your own business and there could be an emergency at any point or you have to you know message someone or someone needs something it's it's really hard i'm I mean, trying it's
1: hard. <laughs> It's really hard. And what a lot of people don't realize is that these technologies, Facebook, Instagram, any of these major social platforms, they have entire behavioral psychologist teams working on making the apps more addictive. I'll give you a simple example. So when you go into your messaging app and you pull down, you swipe down to load, there's a a delay one two three four five second delay sometimes and that delay has been inserted into that app purposefully to create a sense of anticipation which gives you a spike of dopamine uh, and then when the when the messages come through you get another hit of dopamine and you have actually become physically addictive it's kind of Pavlovian like Pavlov's dog people have had brains brain scanners attached and they've found that people have a spike in dopamine just by seeing the Facebook logo Go.
0: Can you believe what that? sick human yeah. beings. Like, that is truly detrimental. I mean, oh God, the amount of time wasted. It's really detrimental on society. I mean, social media, don't get me wrong, is incredible. I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for social media. It does so many great things in the world, but like any addiction, you have to have boundaries and you have to know, you know, when it's time and place, right? When it's okay, when it's not and and be aware of it. And I think we so mindlessly kind of use our phones for everything and scroll and wait for messages and respond that like, we don't even realize it. I think mindfulness has a lot to do with it you know, and kind of combating that.
1: I think we have to just mitigate these effects of these tools because they are powerful and they can change the world. They connect us to anyone on earth. They spread our message. They grow our businesses. Yes, there are a lot of people making a lot of money off us and potentially abusing our mental health. But I think that if we learn to balance our lives out, let's sleep with our phones outside of the bedroom at night. Let's not use them at dinner. Let's remember that, you know, let's set ourselves clear working hours and not be on our phones in bed or in the morning first thing because you know we're just feeding that monster that addiction and you know that one email that one text message it can wait you know if you're on your phone you're not being present and I think you know unless you're having to use it for your work on a regular basis I think we all could do with trimming down our hours that's for sure the average British person spends 24 hours a week on their phone.
0: Oh my god! I actually turned off that little feature on my iPhone that tells me how many hours a week I spend on my phone because I cannot bear the truth. But I mean, like I said, with the first thing in the morning, a perfect example of having something just ruin your day. Like I don't want my phone to set the tone for my day. You know what I mean? Like reading something upsetting. So uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when that the article came out about that pig being forced to bungee jump. Yes, um, uh, on
1: the, um, I China. saw,
0: I saw that, and it sent me into such a depressive and anxious spiral because I am obviously with what I do. I'm an empath. I feel deeply for other creatures on this planet, and I just the, everything like this video automatically played, and I had to hear it and listen to it, and I for. 24 hours, if not 48 hours, that squealing was in my head and just ruined two days of my life. And that is the power of social media and when it's not used responsibly. But then on the same token, it's amazing that we're talking about this horrible thing that happened because hopefully some sort of legislation goes through it or, or it makes people aware and also mm-hmm. maybe makes them wonder, well, why is it okay for me to eat bacon, but a pig not go bungee jumping? You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm it is a double edged sword that's for sure but with with so much as you said you know all this sorrow and sadness in the world like what are the things that keep you joyful what what keeps you kind of smiling other than um, your dogs other than my dog. So
0: well, I was going to say my dog. Um, <laughs> also just, you know, the positive things happening in the world in terms of feminist movements. I always, when I think about, when I start to get down on kind of where we are with veganism, for example, um, I also think about where we are with veganism. That's amazing. You know, I, I have this um, one of my employees actually collects happy news articles of just random happy things happening in the world. And so you know, they get me to read that or I just kind of ask them to do that. So they have set, you know, that hit of dopamine for like the good of the world every once in a while. Working out has been a huge thing for me. My endorphins, the dopamine, everything. Um, it helps me tackle my day. And it's not the traditional like going and lifting weights a lot of the time. It's something as simple as taking a dance class in the summer being outside, not in the winter because I live in Canada and it's like minus 15 today. <laughs> And, and just being around, you know, good people with good food and camaraderie, that, that's really what keeps me going, you know, seeing smiling faces, doing new things together, traveling and looking forward to travel. Those are the things that keep me happy and keep me going on a daily basis.
1: Before we let you go, i um, will always like to ask our guest this final question. If you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig... Obviously, you don't eat the pig because you're vegan. (laughs) Of course, of course. If I gave you one vegan dish, one book, and one music album, what would you take with you?
0: Ooh, I would take lasagna. That would be my dish. My book. Ooh. You know what? I think I would take Animal Farm. George Orwell Animal Farm. Because when we start populating the island again, we know what uh, order and disorder looks like. And then one record, uh, probably ooh, Rumors Fleetwood Back.
1: Amazing, fantastic choice. Personally, uh, can vouch for that one. <laughs>
0: right? It has the good and the sadness.
1: <laughs> With Candace Hutchins, thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Yeah, it was such a pleasure speaking to you. I really enjoyed this.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie. We'll be back next time with more veganism, health, fashion, food, technology, and everything else in between.